It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week, we look at sports topics of local interest, some national sports topics. We have a great gambling segment in which... uh, Rick's got to come pay the piper at some point today. And, uh, of course, uh, a handful of uh, Ask Skinny Anything questions, I would assume. We'll see what we get there. I actually I actually answered one on, on, on Twitter yesterday. I guess I was supposed to not do that, but I did it anyway because I thought it was a specific question asked to me. But uh, we'll see where that goes. But anyway, we got a lot to get to. Um, we, we, we actually did kind of the, the podcast last week at about the right time when the Reds had, uh, had just lost the series to the Braves. But then we didn't get into some Dick Williams fallout. We didn't get into some Trevor Bauer fallout. We got a Bengals win to talk about. We got uh, Bengals issues to talk about. We got a lot to get to. Yeah, we've got plenty to get to. There's, like you mentioned, some good Reds news to talk about. And and obviously the ongoing situation with the Bengals. But Skinny, I'll be honest with you. Uh, as far as the betting goes, I am happy to be getting out of town this week. I am headed to North Carolina Um I'm going to be gone for the entire weekend. I'm really not going to get to watch much football. So I think that's just a sign from the betting gods to say, take the week off after I just got obliterated in every way, shape and form. Last it, it's funny. You, you and I are in a picks league and that does the picks league gives me, um, it gives me kind of a gambling rooting interest, right? We put up a, 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 a chunk of money. It's not a large chunk, but there's what 15 of us in the league. And we put it, we get a weekly prize of about 70 bucks if we're the winner. And so it does, it, you know, it got, kind of gives me my gambling Jones. If what happened to me last weekend happens, which is I went down twice and got shut out and just said to hell with it. I'm I, This is a sign that says don't do anything this weekend. Yeah, well, I wish that would have happened to me. I wish I would have gotten that sign because my bankroll uh, for my betting the rest of the year would be a lot more substantial. As it is, I got absolutely crushed. Well, it happens to the best of us. That's 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 why they build those Taj Mahals in Vegas, my friend. Yeah, well, you know, you know, the the way I look at it is the only way to get hot again is to uh, keep trying. So yeah, and some, but sometimes it is kind of maybe there is like you're, like you're saying you're going somewhere for the weekend, a chance to maybe casually watch and just take a deep breath. You're going to be in the picks league, so you got a little interest. I mean, a, you got a chance to win seventy bucks, so it's 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 all good. Uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, I dropped from third overall in that picks league to God knows what after finishing dead last last week in that too. So it was an awful week. Let's get into some sports talk, shall we? Let's do it. The Cincinnati Reds announced on Wednesday that Dick Williams has resigned as president of baseball operations to pursue personal interest outside baseball. Williams is taking a position with family-owned and controlled North American properties. Nick Crawl will continue in his role as the team's vice president and general manager. Skinny, how would you assess the job Dick Williams did as Reds GM? Um, I think it was a little above average. Um, you know, he was dealing with a, a an unstacked or a, a deck kind of stacked against him, I guess, for lack of a better term. I think that I'll be honest. I think Bob Castellini waited too long to start the rebuild. I think some of that was that year of 2015 when, when they had the all-star game, he didn't want to start the rebuild then and shame on him because then they got very minimal value in return for some key parts uh, that they ended up trading away to start the rebuild. Um, you know, he got, he got the purse strings open this year. Um, I'll be honest, not all the signings obviously worked out, but I, I, I am okay with what he did. I think it was good. I think the dings to me would be, they really haven't developed a lot of their own talent. They certainly haven't developed a lot of their own pitching. Um, their drafts have not been great. Um, and, and so, you know, that that's the, the, the yin against it. So I, I, yeah, I think a little bit above average. I think, you know, it, it took about, 
probably a year too long in theory. If you started a rebuild in 15, you would have hoped to have been a little more competitive in 18 or 19. So it took probably an extra year to get competitive. But I think it also shows, you know, if you're going to be competitive, you better have some players. And they didn't have them, and they had to go out and spend a lot of money to replenish. But the reason they had to replenish is their drafts weren't very good, and that falls to him too. So I'll give him a, I'll give him a C plus for, for, for being put in the job for, from a nepotistic standpoint. Um, they patted a little sunny boy in the head, and Dick Dandy did okay. Yeah, and you you know you hate to bring up the nepotism thing because he did yeah, an okay job I mean, on his own. I don't I don't hate to bring it up because it is. I mean, I, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who like to take a crack at that job. Yeah, well, absolutely, and and I would argue that he did a good enough job to stand on his own as GM and everything else. That it's it wouldn't all have to be about nepotism if the situation wasn't what it was. I mean. I'll be honest, his comments as he resigned kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. And I know people will think I'm the bad guy here, but the fact that he's got this family business that he's also a part of and he's been he says, you know, like, oh, my my father and grandfather have been patient with me as they've been running running the business without me and he's leaving because he needs more time with his family and to go run a family business. I'm sorry. It may be mean, but to me, that's just way too much silver spoon for me. Like that, that position in baseball kind of needs to be a grinder position. It needs no to question. be a guy who's trying no to work doubt. his way up. It can't be a guy who knows in the back of his mind, he really can just walk away from all this and make more money doing an easier job and have 100% job security because it's a family business. And so when I see those comments, I'm kind of like, okay, he didn't do a terrible job, but I think he could have been a legitimate GM even if he didn't get the job through his family. But this stuff makes me kind of feel like he might not always been working as hard as he could have been. Yeah, yeah and I don't know about that part, but I, I do agree with kind of the silver spoon process of it. I mean, it almost made it sound like, yeah, I've always had a fallback plan if this didn't work out for me. Well, how about you grind a little harder to make it work? Um, that's that's it, my issue. It's, it's not that he necessarily didn't work hard. It's that... The, the mindset, the, the context you have in life, the perspective you have in life when you have the silver spoon and that type of fallback plan changes things. It just does. Well, but and, and I go back to, and I mean, this town is so full of nepotism. It makes me want to vomit half the time. And maybe that's why these organizations are so poorly run is because it is nothing but nepotism. Um, you know, if, if, if his if his family doesn't own a share of the Reds, does he even get a crack at being a GM? No. And let's be no, honest, he wouldn't. Right. No, that's right. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of people that probably would like to have a crack at that that would do as good, if not better, a job. I think the big takeaway for me is twofold. I think he came off as extraordinarily butthurt last week um, in, in a couple of interviews, in the Zoom interview he did uh, to kind of recap the season where he he thought people that were hypercritical of the way the team finished and that, that somebody, I think Paul Docker, the Inquirer, labeled it as what, disappointing um, maybe even embarrassing. And the playoff appearance was embarrassing. They, they did embarrass themselves in the playoffs. I mean, no matter how you slice it, you didn't score a run in two games. I'm sorry, that's fairly embarrassing to me. Um, and and I, I wonder if that factored into some of this of look at the job I did, and this is, this is the thanks I get for it. And I also wonder this too, and I guess this is kind of spinning it forward a little bit, Rick. I wonder if he sees the writing on the wall of, listen, we don't know where finances are going. I don't think we can make a run to re-sign Trevor Bauer. And if you're Dick Williams at that point and you got the family business to go to, do you really want to fight trying to rebuild this again without, without having the purse strings open enough to try to make a run at that guy? Because then you're the fall guy for that, right or wrong. I mean, people can point at Bob Castellini, but they're also going to point at Dick Williams. I mean, that, and that's, that's where maybe he just said, you know what? I don't need this aggravation. I've got the family business to heck with it. Now I was also told that 
he was considering this move back in February that he had told some people that this might be his last year. And, and, and maybe that's all, that's all true. But the cynic in me says, no, he comes off a little butthurt last week. And then a couple of days later decides to resign. And maybe some of it is he was told, listen, we don't know what we're going to do financially this next year. And I understand it. Right. I mean, we don't know what the finances are going to look like. It could be, they can look at their spreadsheet and go, we got a lot payroll. We're not only not going to add payroll or resign Trevor Bauer, we got to whack some payroll here. Um, and maybe that was what was told of him. And he said, you know what? I'm not fighting this battle. You guys, you guys do it yourselves. A few years ago, we were told it was time for a complete rebuild with the Reds and that it was going to be homegrown talent and relying on prospects and doing what the Cubs did. And that never quite materialized a lot due to the drafts you talked about, but also when some of the guys were getting to be kind of ready, maybe type prospects and not all really not many of them have panned out to be big time players. In no, they have not. So I, I'm not going to crush him for this, but when some of those guys were getting to become prospects and they had some capital, they did give some of them away. And you got to this point where the reds kind of went all in on this season when you look at the payroll and you look at what they did to acquire Trevor Bauer and Mike Moustakis and Nick Castellanos, and you ended up with a team with the lowest batting average in all of baseball. And granted, they were designed to work in Great American Ballpark with the, the short porch and the way the balls fly out of there because they were all power hitters, but it, it just didn't work. You didn't get guys on base. It, there was no chemistry to the way the team played. And I, I know it's baseball and that sounds weird to say, but I think there is something to gaining some momentum by getting guys on base and just having some action. And and this Reds team was was too prone to just striking out and letting the pitcher and the defense get the momentum and just staying silent throughout the game as we saw in the postseason. And so you were left with this situation that, okay, you, you kind of did the rebuild thing but didn't really stick with it. Then you went all in, and now you've got a team that might be losing two starting pitchers, potentially Castellanos. Where, where are you going from here? What is, what is the plan for well, here? You kind of look and, like and, you're in a situation of uh, the leather pants days again. Well, and that, that's where I, I wonder if that's, you know, that's that's kind of the marching orders he's been given is I, we can't resign these guys. In fact, we need Castellanos to opt out because we need to save the money. I don't think he will opt out because I just don't think there's a market that's going to pay him $14 million this next year because of finances in the league. Um, so they're going to be stuck. I don't say stuck because Castellanos is still a good player, but they're still stuck with a $14 million contract next year. Um yeah, and I don't think the all-in was just for this year, Rick. I mean, you didn't sign Moustakas for a year. You signed him for three or four. You signed Castellanos for, for a period, although he can opt out. You signed Shogo for three years. You right. signed Wade Miley for a couple. I think the whole hope was have a good year this year, get fans to, 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 to buy in, go to the playoffs, re-sign Trevor Bauer. Nick Lodolo's maybe close to coming up, and uh, we had maybe a piece in, in the offseason. They had a bullpen arm, and, and we're good to go. Um, and that's where maybe that's been told differently. And he just said, I, and I get it. If that's the case and I got a family business to fall back on, I might love the game, but if I'm having to start from scratch again um, and beat my head against the wall and, and, and not be able to play, you know, with a, with a fair deck while other, other teams are able to spend some money, then I might say, see you later too. And that's, that's what I, that, that's what I fear is why this happened is he just was told, listen, dude, we're, we're, we're going the other way. And, and um, you know, if you want to be a part of this, great. If not, step aside and that's where he said i'm i'm going to the family business because it was awful weird he was very passionate about being butthurt um last week to the point of uh, you know that's not like a guy that was still in and a couple of days later going yeah i'm out 
Yeah, well, and I think maybe it's kind of what you were alluding to earlier that he feels how thankless of a job it is. You know, he he feels like, hey, I finally got the Reds back to the playoffs and we made all these moves to to bring this to the fans of Cincinnati and everyone's calling me a disappointment and or what we did a disappointment and an embarrassment. And so, you know, I, I think you got to have a little bit thicker skin then if that actually did bother him. But I'm, way, I'm way more concerned about what you're saying, Skinny, that because of the fact that he has this whole situation of the family business step back to, he felt very much like he could take a, uh, well, let's make a last run at it. I'm, I may only be here for another year or two. I'm thinking about stepping away anyway. Let's go ahead and go all in and we'll, we'll sign a couple of power hitters that may or may not work out. And uh, who knows what happens after this year if it doesn't. And that's the, that's the spot I fear the Reds are in right now where they're just going to have to kind of, uh, if things don't really come together in this offseason and into this next baseball season and I fear that the Reds are going to face fire sale get rid of guys start signing uh, veterans for the minimum and you know guys that are long in the tooth and way past their prime and uh, young guys who aren't ready to be on the club yet a bunch of 4A guys and we go right back to where the Reds have been for much of the past two decades and, and that's where listen uh, you know I, I don't mind the supplementing of, of signing some of these veteran guys but part of a, a, a small market club like the Reds are, you better draft better. You better develop better. And they just haven't done that. It needs, there needs to be a little marriage there. I don't need all nine position players, all eight position players to be homegrown. No, I don't need all five starters to be homegrown, but I need more than a few, right? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, mean, or a few would be nice. I mean, we really don't even have that right now in Cincinnati. I mean, look around this club. Your 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 Tucker Barnhart was was homegrown, and he sucks. And, and listen, Tyler Stevenson hopefully is the guy next year behind the plate. He's homegrown, so the jury's still out. Vado's homegrown, but he's old. Mustakas is not homegrown. Freddie Gralvis was not homegrown. Eugenio Suarez was not homegrown. Jesse Winker was, but Jesse Winker couldn't hit a left hander with a bow door and a five day head start. Um, Senzel's homegrown, but it's not you know Senzel was supposed to be a dude by now, right? And he's just a nice part, and I I think he's going to be good if he can ever stay healthy. I I do. And Cassianos is not home grown um Luis Castillo was not homegrown Sonny Gray was not homegrown um Anthony Scafani was not homegrown um who am I missing Trevor Bauer was not homegrown uh so what 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 have you done you you haven't really developed a lot of your own and, and you know for, for a few years we were told how great Taylor Trammell was going to be dealt him away because he sucked I mean okay that, that guy was supposed to be a hot prospect and suddenly he's no longer with you and he was a dud anyway you got to do better, man, in the drafts. And and um, if not, then somebody has to be held accountable. And, and in this case, maybe he holds himself accountable. Skinny, I don't think your uh, position on Tucker Barnhart as a player has been quite clear enough yet on this podcast. What what did you think of the year that he had? I thought he sucked, okay. Um, okay. if you're wondering. Okay. I mean, I, honestly, I, I he's a good dude, and, and I think he's a good catcher. My goodness, he has regressed significantly as a hitter. I mean, to the point where anytime he comes up, it's like, Go pinch hit for him. I don't care if it's the second inning and the bases are loaded. Go pinch hit for that guy. He cannot hit a lick. And remember, he he was once a switch hitter who decided he just wanted to concentrate on hitting left-handed. Honestly, he may want to just concentrate on standing up there and taking five pitches and hope four of them are balls. He can't hit a lick. Sorry. I mean, you're, you're, you're not wrong. Rant. You're not wrong. I just wanted to be clear about where you, where you stood on that. So. As a hitter, he sucks, in case you're wondering. <laughs> okay. Uh, skinny. Hang on. As I'm watching this, he just took another upper, uppercut swing and missed. We talked. We talked about Trevor Bauer and how big of a decision that's going to be in this offseason. And the the interesting thing about Trevor Bauer is he's given us all a lot of insight this year to sort of <laughs> sort of what's going on with him behind the scenes. And the most recent form of that was his final game vlog, where he showed the frustration of 
him leaving after the eighth inning and the Reds not being able to score and talk about how pissed he was and talks about all the runs that they left on base and how much he hates losing. What, what, what was your take on Bauer's vlog overall, his comments and some of the things he's said on Twitter since about, you know, fans saying it, it was great, great having you too bad. We won't see you as a red next year. And he said, wait, who said I'm leaving? Um, and then last night he's t- tweeting about, oh, it sure looks like the Yankees could use some pitching. Oh, it sure looks like this team could use some pitching. Just messing with everybody on social media. What's been your uh, take on Trevor Bauer's social media usage? He's a nut. He's an absolute unadulterated nut, almost a schizophrenic nut. I mean, honestly. Oh yeah, he's not all that. I, like I, when he first got to the Reds, my take on him was he was absolutely crazy, and I have not come off that take. I still think he is crazy, but he is highly entertaining, very intelligent, and he really, really cares about the game. Yes, and, and you could sense that frustration, and then some in the in the in the post game vlog as he's walking and talking. Right? I mean that 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 dude was dude was angry. Um, Look, I think they would have a chance to get him back at a reasonable price because I think he did like pitching here. Um, I, I, I always take anything anybody says in a postgame setting a lot of times with a grain of salt, especially anything that's set out of frustration because it is frustration. Um, you know, you know, there's a rule I think a lot of schools have. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a high school basketball coach. And one of our rules is if a parent's angry, that we have a 24 hour rule, they can't contact you for 24 hours. And, and that's probably a smart way to do it because it allows everybody just to take a step back, take a deep breath, and then kind of speak in a more calm tone or at least rational tone. Um, he was not very rational in the moment. And I understand it. I understand the frustration. Um, I, I fully do. Um, but you know, and I think some of it is, yeah, he does, I think, like to mess with people. And and so what he's doing now, I think also he's looking and going, I just want to make sure you guys know I'm interested just in case the Yankees decide, hey, Trevor, two years, two years, 56 mil, you in? Reds, what do you got? Eh, we got one year at 22. Yeah, Yankees, I'm coming. I mean, right? I mean, so I, I get that part of it too, don't you? Absolutely. And I think the biggest thing for him that he's made clear, and I actually believe him and, and take him at face value when he says this, he wants to make sure he's not locked into a situation where he's not going to be competitive. So right. wherever he is, he wants to feel like the organization is doing a good job of giving him a chance to win in the playoffs. And, you know, does that mean he has to play for the biggest payroll or biggest market? I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think there is some, he sees some value in personal relationships and teammates and things like that. At the same time, I think he's the type of guy that he sticks around in one place too long and he starts rubbing people the wrong way because he's a little crazy. So I, there's there's a lot going on with Trevor Bauer, but at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is proving to him that you're serious about winning and putting together a roster that can compete in the postseason. I think he's going to have serious questions for the Reds front office in this offseason after witnessing what he did, especially in that final game where, you know, he's he's on camera saying, talking about the inability to get guys in, the the terrible base running, all of that. He was he was pretty honest. He was pretty blunt about it. And I don't think he was unfair in any circumstance. He didn't throw anybody under the bus or anything like that. But he he's absolutely right. And so I think the Reds are really going to have to come up with a good game plan, not just to come up with how they're going to pay Trevor Bauer enough money to keep him, but what they're going to do to put the pieces in place around Trevor Bauer to compete in the postseason next year and the season after that. Because if they don't have that type of plan in place, I can't see him resigning. 
Yeah, I, I can't either. Um, and I just don't know where they're going to get the money for it. I mean, you can shave a little bit by letting Galvis walk, but are you really ready to turn a shortstop over to Garcia without any minor league at bats this year? Um, you could let Lee Scafani walk and, and get a little bit more there. And I, I don't mind that because I think I could survive with, with Wade Miley or TJ Antone at the bottom of the rotation. And Wade Miley was obviously an utter disappointment with the injury situation. I just don't know, even with some of that stuff, if you're going to be able to find the money to resign him, I hope they can. I hope they can make a competitive offer. That's enough. It, it, it won't be an look. They won't outbid any other team. It may be just, he likes it here. He likes this, this organization. He likes the city, maybe all those things. Um, but I, I think they're in a very competitive disadvantage when trying to resign the guy. I think what Reds fans need to do is take up. It's not a GoFundMe in this case. I don't know. Just some type of PSA to get the message out there to get everyone to subscribe to him on YouTube. I think as long as he gets his uh, million subscribers or hundred thousand subscribers or whatever he's going for on YouTube right now, by the end of the year, as long as he knows that Cincinnati fans gave him that, I think he would be happy to stay. I think that's what it's all about for him right now. He is pretty obsessed with YouTube. He is. And you may be right. Yeah. It's all for the clout, baby. All the social media clout. Let's switch gears here, Skinny. Uh, Pro Football Focus ranked all 32 offensive line units in the NFL through the first four weeks of play, and the Bengals checked in at 29th ahead of only the Chargers, Giants, and Dolphins, which is actually better than I would have expected. However, on a bright note, left tackle Jonah Williams has looked worthy of his first-round draft spot, especially according to the publication. He drew praise from PFF this week, quote, Williams has performed exceptionally well in pass protection in his past two games against Philadelphia and Jacksonville, surrendering only three pressures while earning pass blocking grades above 80, that's out of 100, in each outing. In week four, Williams was the fifth highest graded tackle in pass protection. Skinny, is it too early to say that the Bengals have a cornerstone of their offensive line at left tackle in Jonah Williams? Yes, it is, but I I do think this, and it's the old theory of offensive linemen. If I don't notice you, that's a good thing, and and I haven't noticed him a lot. I've noticed him on occasion. Um, You know, first few few games, you know, there were a couple of times he got beat in ugly fashions, but the thing I like is it seems like it doesn't linger. It doesn't seem like it's a a consistent thing where he's just consistently getting his ass kicked, Um, and he's doing some ass kicking himself. I mean, there was a run, um, really kind of, I thought, a kind of a clinching run. It got a big first down and a sweep to, to Joe Mixon in which uh, he was out in front leading the play and, and showed some athleticism doing so, which is kind of a forte. So, um, yeah, can I say he's a cornerstone for the next 10 years? Not not, not yet, but what I can say is I feel a whole lot better than I did before seeing him play, and, and, and that's a good thing. And, and he has solidified at least that position uh, after last year being such a turnstile of, of 9,000 guys playing it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what he's done, to be honest. I, I get your point about not noticing offensive linemen, but I would even say it's been so bad on this offensive line that I have noticed him at times. At least I've noticed the fact that the left side of the offensive line isn't the one constantly getting annihilated. It's usually coming around the right side. So um, I, I've been impressed with him. The one thing that surprises me is when you see him, he doesn't look very big. But no, man, he, stone, he stones some guys, though. He's yeah. really strong, which is a silly thing to say about an offensive lineman. They're all strong. No, no. He, he, no, it's funny. He, 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 you know, seeing him last year in the locker room, I, I kept thinking, man, he just doesn't look the part of, a, of, an, of an offensive tackle. Whitworth looked the part. Yeah. Andre Smith even looked the part. I mean, they were monsters. Yeah, you're supposed to look like Mr. Incredible. Right. And, and he made a point, though, this offseason of trying to make sure he got strength, helped him and, and not seeing him in person other than, than a, the two or three Zoom interviews we've done where his face looks fuller and not in a bad way. He just he's kind of bulked up. Um, 
it's hard to tell, but obviously you're right. And seeing some of the stuff you're talking about, obviously he's got the strength to, to do it. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I like what he's done and I'll be honest. I, I know this isn't on the topic, but I, I liked what Alex Redman did. I, I didn't notice him. I mean, I thought he gave some stability and I like the fact that he gave some stability, gave Bobby Hart a little stability. I mean, those two guys played 15 games together two years ago um, and did okay. They blocked for a thousand yard rusher that year. They weren't great, but it beat the fact of, I just wonder, and, and I'm not trying to defend Bobby Hart for everything, but um, when you've got a different guy playing with you each week, you don't know if you can trust that guy or not to do his job. So then you try to do a little of his job and some of your job, and you're not all that great at your job to begin with, and then you're trying to do his job. That makes it hard. If it's now him going, hey, I trust Alex, and, and it helps Bobby Hart, at least in the short term before you fix it in the offseason, good. Hopefully that gave, gave the, the offensive line a boost there too. Uh, Bobby Hart graded out as the lowest pass blocker for the Bengals with a 45.2 out of a hundred after this week. Just to, just to remind Well, and, and you know what? And no offense to pro football focus. I don't buy all their bull either. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I honestly don't. I mean, you know, a lot of it, you don't know what they're doing with, with, with the, what the people are supposed to be doing. That's the great thing about football. Um, you know, we, we talk about chemistry and sports and all that. I don't buy it in baseball because I don't need your chemistry to have me hit against the pitcher or vice versa. In football, you need that. You need some cohesion. Different guys have different responsibilities on plays. I like PFF to some degree. I think people have taken it to be the be all end all. And it's just not because they don't know what's supposed to be happening on each and every play. They don't have everybody's playbook for goodness sakes. I will agree with you overall. I will also say that what they're writing about Bobby Hart certainly passes the eye test from what we are seeing on the field each and every week. Did did he suck on Sunday? Yes. He did? He sucks every week, Skinny. He He gets beat every week, yes. There were multiple times times he got beat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How many times was Joe Burrow sacked? None. It doesn't. Well, one. Yeah, but uh, he he sat down. But again, I don't that that's not the that's not the end all be all either. You can still be getting beat and making life tough for Joe Burrow if you're no I didn't feel like life was tough for Joe Burrow Sunday. I thought he looked very comfortable standing back there and delivering passes. It was his best performance so far, Bobby Hart's of the season. It wasn't yes. he wasn't a and complete that's where, and he, style. Gets, he, he gets that kind of a grade. Come on, that's why I, again I don't I don't buy half their stuff. I don't. I mean I I'm sorry I, think, I don't I just don't. I think if you look individually at the game, you'll still see Bobby Hart getting beat fairly consistently. With Alex Redman, the point you made about him, it's funny. You go back a couple of years, the offensive line you mentioned, which was um, average, maybe slightly below average offensive line, and he kind of stuck out as pretty bad on that line. Now you put him on a terrible offensive line, you're like, meh, dude's all right. Like, he doesn't well, – he's mean, average. A- after watching the disaster that was Fred Johnson and, and- – Billy Again, Price right is even worse. What, yeah, and Billy Price in the in the Eagle game. I mean, you had to go somewhere else. And and listen, it, it still was a roll of the dice because this guy was on the street. Nobody in the league wanted him after cuts. Remember that too. Nobody wanted the guy. The Bengals took him back out of desperation and out of desperation threw him back in the lineup. And to his credit, he was part of an offensive line. Rick, they did something on Sunday, and I know it's Jacksonville. Don't get me wrong. I do know it's Jacksonville. But they th- that offense did something that hadn't been done in, since 1986 by the Bengals passing for 300 yards in a game and rushing for 200 yards in the same game. That's a long period of time. And whether you like what the offensive line has done is not, they were a big part of that, right? They are. I I, got, I think you are becoming a closet Bobby Hart fan. I'm Bobby not. I th- in, the, in this off season, you absolutely have to replace him. But, but like I said, if, if, if I didn't notice it, then I'm sorry. I can't, I can't, I can't. Just because somebody beats him around the edge and the quarterback steps up in the pocket, sometimes guess what? That's what you're supposed to do. Oh, Shove yeah. him behind the play. Sure, sure. That, that's not what we're talking. We're talking like 
football one. Hey, I don't care. I don't want to talk about Bobby Hart anymore. You're uh, right. That, it was his, fair. It was his best game of the season. Uh, I'll give you that. Yes. Um, yes. Let's switch gears. Veteran wide receiver AJ Green is off to an extraordinarily slow start to this season with only 14 catches on 33 targets for 116 yards and no touchdowns. But Tyler Boyd said he expects Green's production to escalate. Quote, he will have a lot more games to come back and he'll hit a thousand yards, said Boyd. He's still the best receiver on the team. Just because the games don't come to him and it's not flowing to him and he's not flashing doesn't mean that anything is wrong. I don't think anything is wrong. I just think everything is going to come once opportunity hits. Skinny, how much stock do you put into what Tyler Boyd says about his teammate, A.J. Green? Well, I think he will get a thousand yards Rick, as long as he keeps playing games through 2023. He'll eventually get a thousand yards between now and then. I, I, yeah, I mean, so I don't think Tyler's wrong. Oh, did he mean this year? Oh, he meant this year. I think yeah. he meant this year because I, I wrote that. Um, yeah. Um, no, I don't. I don't see that happening. Um, the thing that, that I guess is weird to me, I thought A.J. had a better first game than he's had the last couple of games where you would think that the opposite would happen, right? That, Hey, got some rust trying to shake a little bit of that rust. It's going to take some time. And it feels like it's gone the absolute opposite way. I mean, he gets no separation. He, he, um, he has no burst. Look, the, 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 the ball that Burrow overthrew him, is that Joe's fault? Maybe a little, but some of it is, man, dude just didn't have the burst he used to have. That, that's the AJ green that would burst and end up laying out and you go, damn, that guy can really do it. And listen, father time, man, he's undefeated, right? Eventually. And it happens to different people at different times. Some people get over the hill at 35, 36, 37, 38. Some people are running backs are done at 28, 29. It's a 32-year-old wide receiver coming off multiple leg injuries, including a hamstring issue in training camp. And while I was more than willing to give benefit of the doubt, because I wanted to see if, if he could overcome the stuff and if he could and, and be close to the A.J. Green of old, well, then giddy up. But... I'm seeing a, what I think is whether his name's AJ Green or not. I'm seeing a 32 year old wide receiver with a lot of leg injuries recently who just simply doesn't have it anymore. I'm more concerned about the inability to get separation than anything. I just I don't see him beating guys very often. He's not a downfield threat at all. Anytime they try to isolate him and go one on one and throw it over top. One teams aren't respecting him by rolling double coverage over to him. They're guarding him one on one. And two. He's not getting open like Joe Burrow is even either having to throw the ball, you know, five yards, 10 yards past him and and basically throwing away or uh, it's it's kind of a jump ball or the situation we saw on that first drive of the last game against the Jaguars after the interception where he overthrew him and everyone criticized A.J. Green for not getting it. And I agree. A.J. Green of old makes that catch and other receivers make that catch. The better receivers make that catch. I'll also say like people don't want to say anything bad about Joe Burrow right now. No, he right. Can't, he can't he do anything like I said, wrong. So. Yeah, I mean, the one criticism so far of Joe is clearly he's not been able to hit downfield throws to anybody. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's, he, been, he's he been a had, little off. Yeah, he had T. Higgins on a deep ball the other day and kind of underthrew it. It hung a little bit. T. had to try to fight back to get it. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not I'm, – this is not a bash Joe Burrow segment by any stretch, but, but – no. He struggled a little bit in that area for sure. And I'm willing to put a lot of that. I've given him the benefit of the doubt on that more than anything because it's hard to feel comfortable throwing downfield, setting your feet and letting no it doubt. when you have no that question. type of offensive line you've been running for your life. And yep, I, no, no doubt. So I give him the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, I don't think all of this is on A.J. Green, particularly like that, that play we were talking about on that third down where I think Joe is a little off. They need to get on the same page. A.J. is coming back from an injury. I'm willing to give it a few more weeks to see if AJ Green can still be a productive wide receiver for this team. I know he's not going to be 
an all pro receiver like he used to be. Uh, but can he still be a weapon for Joe Burrow? I'm hoping maybe he can give him some type of possession receiver in the mid range where Joe Burrow has been very good. Hopefully they can get a little more creative, let AJ use his route running ability to, to be, um, kind of a savvy veteran, if you will, in that mid-range area. And hopefully he can still be productive because other than that, I just don't see him having a lot of use as like a downfield threat anymore. Okay. So, so that brings up the next question then, and we're not there yet. Cause I've been asked this question on a couple of radio interviews this week, and I don't think we're there yet, but let's just say the struggles continue for a couple more weeks. And John Ross continues to be inactive. At what point do you say, you know what? I just need to see one more kick of the tires of John Ross and I've seen enough through six, seven weeks of AJ Green. It's time to make him inactive. Do we do we get to that point if the struggles continue? I don't think it's unreasonable to say it could happen. Um, at the same time, personally, I don't need to kick the tires on John Ross again. I I understand putting him out there because you feel he he at least gives you the threat of speed, and AJ can't right. do anything for you right. at right. some point. But we're, you're right. We're not there yet. I'm at least going to go probably midway through the season before I, I feel like I'm there because I just don't think John Ross has any chance to be a legit starter in the NFL. I, I, just I don't. don't I, I don't. I, I don't either. Um, but in the, you know what you're talking about with AJ Green, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that's probably what he is now. But I've got that guy in Tyler Boyd, and I've got that guy in T Higgins. I, sure. I need somebody to to take the top off this. I need somebody to do it. And that's the crazy thing about John Ross. We've said it before, I think, is there is a role that this team needs from him desperately. He doesn't have to be great. He just has to be somewhat of a threat to go deep. And Rick, Rick, he's how about, so how about this? unreliable, you can't even put him out there. Right. How about this organization, though? And, and this gives me a chance to bash him, which I love to do. How about the fact that your 2017 and 2018 first-round draft picks, John Ross and Billy Price, played zero offensive snaps this past game? Yeah, that's what, does that, say for, what and, does that say for you about about judging talent? And, and honestly, Billy Price might as well be inactive at this point. They're not going back to him. You well, can tell Zach Taylor it, hates it. No, the, the, yeah, the only the, the value he gives you is he can back up both guard spots and center, and you don't have right. anybody else to really do that. So yeah, that's why he's right. Active. I mean, he'll be yes. active because you don't have a ton of offensive linemen. He's versatile, right. but the, he they can't stand him. He will no. never be looked at as a starter again. Absolutely right. But again, how about that? 2017 and back-to-back draft picks. Whiff. That's awful. And I mean, it's awful. not like you're, you're, you got a bunch of home runs surrounding it. You know, that wasn't like a, right. an anomaly. So un- unbelievable. All right. Let's switch gears one more time here before we get to our betting segment. In college basketball, Xavier and Cincinnati have yet to agree on a date for the annual Crosstown Shootout. The game was originally slated for December 5th or 6th at Fifth Third Arena, but Cincinnati is hoping Xavier will work with them and find something more equitable for both sides with fans not likely being allowed in the stands this year. Quote, in the city of Cincinnati, there's Skyline Chili, the Montgomery Inn, and the Crosstown Shootout, Travis Steele clunkily told John Rothstein on Monday afternoon. I hope we can get to play the game this year. John Brandon and Cincinnati have shied away from commenting directly on the rivalry, but Brandon did make a few veiled comments in Xavier's direction on Chad Brendel's podcast this week. Skinny, what do you think should happen with this year's Crosstown shootout? Play it at UC. I mean, I, I'm look, all these people trying to, I, I don't get it. I mean, listen, I'm going to use the, I'm going to use the line from Hoosiers. I'm going to get, I'm going to get the ladder out. I'm going to take the tape measure up. I'm going to take the tape measure to the rim. Ask how, how, how tall the rim is. 10 feet. I'm going to go to the foul line. I'm going to measure that off and go, how, how is it? 15 feet. I'm going to go to the three point line, measure that off. How just it's a basketball court. I don't care if they play it on blacktop in, in Lincoln Heights, 
play the game. And in this case, it's UC's home game. I'm sorry it sucks that it works that works out this way for you, but too damn bad. Play the damn game. Give me a break. Because here's the thing we're not guaranteed, Rick. We ain't guaranteed there's fans next year either when they return to CentOS. Well, that's a good point and one that I think keeps getting overlooked. Everyone keeps acting like, well, next year when we go back to normal. Hold on. Why do you assume we're going back to normal next year in terms of packing 10,000 people into arenas? We don't know that that's going to happen. We don't. So, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's a really good point and one that's not talked about enough. What are you just going to keep changing? I mean, how far are we going to push this down the road? And, and honestly, what is an actual solution here? That's the other thing. Like, I get the standpoint financially more than anything that you're missing out on a big gate that you normally have. Played in that hellhole where they play hockey? I mean, is, honestly, where, where are we playing this? Well, I mean, but, but what good does that do? Now both teams are going to have to pay money to play right. on a neutral site when they wouldn't otherwise have to, and you're giving away a competitive advantage of the fact that you practice every day in your own gym. Why wouldn't you want to try to beat Xavier like this? Exactly. Year? Yeah, it's exactly. Still, it's still a win over Xavier if you're if you're John Brandon. I think yes. your gym that you practice in every day is still an advantage. So I don't yes. get the idea of moving it to a neutral site. I get the idea of, hey, we're, we're missing a big gate. Is there something else we can do? Maybe there's sponsorship money they can split differently than they normally would. Um, I, I don't know how that works or what type of deals la, la, they have. Last I checked, it is, the, it is the Skyline Chili Crosstown shootout, is it not? Yes. I'm going to guess they sponsor some of that and pay a little bit of something of that. I'm going to, I'm just guessing maybe I'm crazy in that regard. Right. Right. And I, I don't know how, what I'm saying is I don't know how the contract works. Um, if it's just, it alternates year to year and the team that has the signage in their building gets the money that year. And so, you know, and maybe skyline won't want to fork over as much money this year because no one's going to be there. I have no idea how all of that is going to work out and, and what they have to do to make it um, seem fair to them. But I, I'll say this. I get why, why UC is looking out for their own best interests, and I totally agree that Xavier would be asking the same questions if it was their home game. However, I'll go back to what we talked about last week when we talked about Chris Mack and John Calipari. At the end of the day, you don't want to be looked at as the coach who ended the rivalry. I would hope not. Because you were complaining. And so the, the onus is kind of on John Brandon here. The game is scheduled to be played on his court. John Calipari just said, basically, look, the game schedule we played it there. We're not going to really engage in this. You, you do whatever you want. If you want to end the rivalry, that's on you. I think Xavier's pretty much going to do the same thing. And when it comes down to it, I think the right thing for John Brandon to do is say, hey, we're going to play this game. So uh, I, I get both sides' stance on it. I just I do, think do, you don't really have a leg to stand on if you're UC because what are, what are you going to do? Play how are you going to make every non-conference game equal for all teams involved? Are you you're, just, you're, is everyone going to play neutral not. sites games? Yes, you're not. I mean, I, I mean, I'll tell you what. You know who's got a nice gym? Hamilton's got a nice gym. I, I like their gym. I do, I do oh, high school tournament. Hold on, games. hold on. What, Let's go play up at Hamilton. Yeah, no, no. Dan brought up a good point on my Xavier podcast last night. What about Woodward with Jamal Walker on the MC? Like it's Devereaux. <laughs> they can wear slats jerseys and SI they're, pool care jerseys like old times. Right. So they're used to playing there, right? Yeah, for the, and you, for the summer. Yeah, why not? And, and also, each team has it's to a nice pick. Gym. It's, it's a nice gym has to pick one summer league legend. So like you could do Yancey Gates and Kenny Freeze one time on each roster just Yancey, for like four Yancey, minutes and a half. Yancey needs the money. Or <laughs> that's a good point. Or you could do like uh, Jalen Reynolds was a Devereaux all-star. Adrian Graves from back. Like you have oh, to get uh, a Devereaux legend um, <laughs> for each team. I think that would be fantastic. I love that concept. No, I, I honestly, stop. These coaches whining about fairness. There's nothing fair about any of this, folks. That's, In the, fact, that's the thing. Let, let, let me say this to you. I hope we have a basket as a coach. I hope we have a basketball season. 
I'm still not guaranteed of that. I'm not guaranteed of, of when I start practice October 26th and they don't shut me down on November the 9th. Nobody's guaranteed that. I mean, hell, the NFL looks like it's about to implode because of all these cases that come up. I mean, we're going to have probably two games canceled this week again, and it feels like it's going to be more and more as we go along. And you think an indoor sport's going to be better? Hell, I would hope you play that game, dudes. And I just think the, the hypocrisy gets funny with this stuff, too, because the coaches all want to talk about how competitive they are and everything. And even John Brandon on his uh, podcast. I'll play you anytime, anywhere. Any, OK, well, then let's just do it. Let's play anytime, anywhere on your home floor where you're used to playing, where the where the hoop is 10 feet. The foul line's 15 feet. The three point line is whatever it is now, 20 feet, six inches. It's 94 feet. Let, let's go play. Stop whining about this crap. Well, and John Brandon actually made comments on Chad's podcast, which were pretty clearly directed at Xavier, where he was talking about the multi-team events, the exempt events, and how some schools have decided to back out of those and play an easier pod at their at their home court. And you know, his his team doesn't want to be like that. They want to play a tough non-conference and competitive non-conference. Well, well, you can't have that both ways, then, right? I mean, if if I agree with you. Xavier's being soft. They got out of an opportunity to play Gonzaga, Michigan State, That's right. a good St. Louis team. Because they Bradley, want, Bradley, Oakland, and who the hell else is that thing? And Toledo. I mean, Toledo, you, they wanted to you. try to ensure themselves three wins Ick. at home. And I get that they don't want to travel and be on the road for an extended period to start their, their season. And that's all well and good. They can look out for their own interest in the, if they want. But I would clown Xavier right now if they were talking about how competitive they want to be in their non-conference schedule. You can't have it both ways. Like, John's right for clowning Xavier for doing what they did, but then he can't say, oh, hey, we, we don't we shouldn't play this game because there aren't going to be fans in the stands and that's not fair to our guys, right? Like, if you want to be competitive, you want to challenge your guys, you want to play a tough non-conference schedule, this is part of that too. Uh, so at, at that all, we get into a lot of hypocrisy when we start getting into the coach speak stuff. I think uh, you're right. You, you just kind of got to play the game. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll see if I can negotiate it where they can play in the auxiliary gym at Beachwood. No, that'd be a great setting for ESPN. I'm sure they'd love that to air the Crosstown shootout from Beachwood High School. Actually, in our auxiliary, not, not our main gym, our auxiliary gym. I'll, I'll oh, have good. them in there. Not yeah. even one side of bleachers, just no bleachers That's right. At all. Just, 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 yeah, exactly. No, we got one side. We do have one side of bleachers. That's oh, okay. it. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right, let's get into our betting segment, where, as I mentioned, I was just a god-awful mess last week. I went 2-10. and 10. I think, and honestly, as bad as I'm doing overall on these picks this year, I think it's time you should just be fading me on all these picks each week. I'm 18-26-2 overall after 2-10 and 10 Dooza, week. Dooza. Yeah, you are 23-17-2 overall, and that's after kind of a rough week. You went 5-7, and seven, not quite as bad as I did. Yeah, I think I was I think I was 0-4 in the Kentucky game. I think I was 2-0. It was like 2-0 in the Bengals or 1-1 one one in the Bengals? Uh, you were... I was terrible on 1-1 one one in the Bengals game. You okay, had the under... I, I, I think I was bad on Sunday night and bad on Monday night, if I'm not mistaken. I was all over. I was all over Atlanta. I know that. Yeah. Well, you went two and zero in the Eagles and the under, um, and then you were wrong. Oh, and two. Yeah, Falcons yeah, oh, and the over. Yeah. So that is correct. And Kentucky, right. and, and Kentucky killed me. Kentucky killed me in real life. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I actually somehow got them in this little exercise that we did. Uh, not so kickers. much in the teaser that I had them in. All right, we uh, Cincinnati has the week off this week, so we will not have a game for them. And but that brings us to Thursday night at 820. The Buccaneers are three and a half point favorites in Chicago. The total for that game is 44 and a half points. That half freaks me out a little bit because I just feel like it's going to be close. I know I know the Bears didn't play very well. I think the Colts defense is for real. I think it's really good. Um, I keep hearing things about this Buccaneers defense, and I just don't know if I buy it. Um, and 
uh, you know, Brady's come off that five touchdown performance and all, but I, I think the he Bears hang around. By the way, he does. He's he's thrown two pick sixes though, but yeah, he does. Two um, god awful think, pick sixes, but other than that, he's also been no. I I great, I, I, like I, I agree. Brady. I think Godwin's out again for this game, so I think that's a factor. I I'm gonna go. Buccaneers 24 21. So I got the Bears. What, what was the total you gave? I'm looking at 44 and a hook. I didn't hear 44 and a hook. Okay. So that's what I'm looking at too. I, I'm going to go Bears in the over slightly. All right. I'm I'm uh, on the same pick as you here. Bears and the over. I'm going to say Bucks 31, Bears 28. I kind of agree with your read on these teams. I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, I don't trust the Bucks defense like they're getting credit for yet. So we'll see how that plays out. Saturday night, 7.30, we got Mississippi State. Uh, roller coaster season for them so far. Wow. At Kentucky, the Wildcats are one-and-a-half-point favorites at home. The total is 57 in the hook. I'm going to take one more swing at it here um, because <laughs> I, I, I Mississippi State is so bad defensively, and I, I, I'm trying to figure out the whole K.J. Costello experience. I Honestly, if you look back at week one when he threw for the 600 yards, I watched a chunk of that game. It felt like there were a few throws where LSU was a tick off defending it, and he got lucky more than he was really good. Um, well, this is and, also the most Mike Leach thing ever, right? Yes, that's exactly You get exactly the big right. nationally yeah. win, and, yep. and I think it says something about LSU, too, who I don't think is nearly as good this year as they were a season ago. But and you this follow that up to be with a, the total letdown against a crappy yeah. team. And this has to be a desperate Kentucky team playing with an extraordinary sense of urgency. Um, you know, they still got to play Bama and Georgia and Florida and Tennessee, which is much improved. And I'm probably missing somebody off the top of my head. Um, and with it being home, you know, there is a little bit of a crowd. Uh, I, I think they find a way to get this one. I'll go Kentucky, I'll go Kentucky 38 30. Well, Unfortunately, I'm with you. I don't want to be. I don't want to bet on Kentucky again. They have screwed me I twice I didn't, already. I didn't, say I, I didn't say I was going to bet on them. I just for this segment, I picked them. <laughs> you just took them in the segment. That's fair enough. Uh, but even in this segment, I didn't want to pick them. I just can't see Mississippi State winning this game and only a point and a half. I'm going to roll with the Cats again. 34-31 is my total. Not too far from you. So I'm going UK and the over as well. Uh, but which, by the way, that over last week I thought was big at like sixty-one and a half or whatever it was. I did, I did, I did too. I, I thought I mean, eighty-five. <laughs> well, but the, the weird part was when Kentucky went up twenty-eight fourteen in the third quarter, and I had to go do a high school game, so I was watching um, the score keep flashing up on my phone. I thought, okay, this is perfect. They're going to now run the ball, milk the clock, put you know one stop, put Ole Miss away, and they never did. Obviously, they 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 pissed it away for for goodness sakes. Yep, they sure did. All right, back to the NFL. Sunday, 1 p.m., we've got the Bengals in Baltimore. The Ravens are 13-point favorites. The total is 51 points. Um, if you're looking at this from afar, I think it's easy to look at that number and, and clearly take the Ravens. And listen, they could absolutely slap them around and beat them by three, four touchdowns. I just don't see it. I think this is a better Bengals team than what we saw last year. Um uh, Joe Burrow is going to find a way to keep him hanging around. And maybe it is a late touchdown to get inside the number to get a back door. But, but I do, I, I think the Bengals make this competitive. I can't, there's no way I get come close to predicting a victory. That'd be silly. Um, if they do good for them, but I'll go, um, I'll go a little flat Ravens performance here. Um, even though I was really impressed the way they bounced back from the, the loss of the chiefs by, by really handling a bad team in Washington. I don't think the Bengals are a bad team. I think they're, mid-pack the lower, but not a Washington bet. Washington's obscenely bad and obviously changed quarterbacks because of it. So I'll go Ravens. I'll go Ravens 27, Bengals 20. And if that, that occurs, it may be a late Joe touchdown to get it to the number, but I'll go, I'll go Bengals and the under, and I feel really confident in that 13 point number. 
Wow. Okay. So I looked at this number and the first thing that came to my mind is, okay, who do I tease that with? Cause I feel Bengals at 20 or, or 19, you, you feel really good about. Yeah. Or split it. I mean, that's one where you take the Ravens down to, to, uh, to seven and take the Bengals up to 19 and take it with another game and, and hope to middle it. And that's a pretty big middle, especially with way numbers can land on tens and 14s and 17s. That's a pretty good middle to play with, to be honest with you. Yeah, that is a good middle too. I, I like that call as well. Um, I'll just be honest though, the 13 number, I'm going to do it one more time. I am, I am getting killed in this pick'em segment partially because I'm 0-4 betting against the Bengals to cover. They are undefeated against the spread this year. Yep. I'm going to bet against them one more time against the spread. I'm going to say Ravens 35, Bengals 21. So the Ravens just cover that 13 number and it hits the over. It's funny. I, I I literally just put up before this podcast, Rick, and you know, I always put it up every Thursday morning. The uh, the AP does their weekly picks, and they do it against the spread. Um, the the AP predictor Barry Wilner, longtime AP writer, does each of the games. Um, his score was Ravens thirty five, Bengals twenty. So you're 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 right there with his number. Yeah, yeah, I guess well, that, that felt like doing, the right number. How's he doing on his picks this year? Yeah, you know what? I'd have to look. He's usually above five hundred. He's he's actually not bad. Well, maybe that's a good sign for me then. Maybe I'm moving in the right direction. All right. Uh, Sunday night game, 820. We've got Minnesota at Seattle. The Seahawks are seven-point favorites. The total is 57 and the hook. It's a nice. That was a nice bounce back for the Vikings, and it cost Bill O'Brien his job. Um, <laughs> they still I, suck. Yeah, but the Seattle defense is so stinking bad. Um, I'm going to go, though. I'm going to go Seahawks. 38 Vikings 27. So the Seahawks cover and it goes way over a big total of 57 and a half. Wow. Um, Seattle offensively is absurdly good. Yeah. Yeah, they I mean, are. They're, hang, they're hanging 30 on everybody. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm actually, I was actually, we're, we're pretty much in line here, except you're seven points higher on each team than I am. I went Seattle 31, Minnesota 20. Um, so that would have been Seahawks and the under, but looking at, but looking at your line, you, you kind of make me feel like I, uh, might be a little low on that total because you're right. Seattle's defense has been atrocious this year, but yeah, I'm going mean, to stick with it. Seahawks and the under. Yeah. Here's what Seattle's given up this year. 25, 30, 31, 23 to Miami, but they've also scored 38, 35, 38, 31. Um, it just feels like they play every game as a shootout and they're out shooting you out, which is so funny to watch the, the transition of them, right? From, yeah, from Legion the of Legion of Boom. Boom yeah, to this. <laughs> But I'll give Pete Carroll credit. You know what? You talk about adapting with what you got. He's yeah. really good at doing that. Yeah, he he is definitely a guy that is not a system guy like they talk about a lot of co- college coaches. He adapts to what he has, and uh, it's worked out well for him. Chargers in New Orleans. The Saints are seven-and-a-half-point favorites. The total is, is this, by the way, yeah, sorry, Rick. Uh, is this game still going to be played in New Orleans? Because they've talked about moving this, perhaps, because of the hurricane. Uh, that's a good question. Although it's it should be through there by the, by the weekend, so I'm assuming it stays in New Orleans. There was some conversation, I think, of moving it to Houston, I believe. Uh, as of 23 uh, hours ago, they said the game could be moved to Indianapolis. But or Indianapolis, I'm sorry, yes. I yeah, that has not though. been decided, All right. according to SI.com. Um, i tell you what, though. So what number did you have? I'm sorry, you said it, and I it talked was 50, right over the top. It was uh, seven and a half in favor of the Saints. The total is 51. Yeah, I... The, the Saints let teams hang around. I mean, they, they you know, they, they made a nice rally with Detroit last week, and then Detroit gets back within six, and granted, it was, the number was only four and a half. That hook on the seven just is too tough for me to take the Saints. I, the Chargers hang around. Justin Herbert's been pretty good to this point. I'll, I'll go Saints win a nail-biter, 27-23. So I'll go Saints and the under. 
I mean, so excuse me, Chargers in the under. That's funny. Yeah, I, I've got Saints 27, Chargers 17. So we were really close on that number. But I'm just going to say the Saints find a way at home. Well, maybe at home uh, to get it done against the rookie Herbert. Like you said, he's been he's been decent. He's been OK. Um, but I think they're also playing with fire a little bit there. I don't like that Chargers offense at all. So um, I'm going to say Saints in the under. OK. All right. So now now our bets of the week, right, are off the board play. Yep, that's right. All right, I got my three team teaser of the week. I'm with you. I'm taking the Bengals up to uh I'm going to do a six six point teaser. I'm going to take the Bengals up to 19. I'm going to take the Browns up to seven and a half at home against the Colts. And I'm going to take Seattle down to one against Minnesota. That's my three team teaser of the week. Seattle down to one. Browns up to seven and a half. Bengals up to 19. All right. I like that. Uh, I forgot to even check on what our bets of the week did last week. So uh, mine, mine failed. I know that. I don't know what yours was. I don't remember. So I think mine hit actually. I think I had a three team teaser that hit. Oh, good work. All right. Riding off your coattails a little bit here, but I was already in on the Bengals uh, teaser. I'm going to steal the Seahawks from you. I like that. I'm going to take the Seahawks down to one and uh, I'm going to roll with the chiefs at six and a half. All right. Fair enough. I, I, I I don't mind that. I, I just, um, the Chiefs can get bored at times. I thought they looked bored they against the And look, the, the Raiders have been impressive. I mean, you got to give credit to Gruden. He's done a good yeah, job. Yep. You know he'll be up for this yeah. one. I, I it, But, you know, it also feels like it also feels like 42 to 24 yeah. Kansas Pat, City, right? Did Pat I mean, Mahomes it, it, attend it, it, his quarterback camp or quarterback school? Do we know that? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Because I think funny, Gruden though. is undefeated against quarterbacks that went to his uh, school. And, and, and so we both, we, both, uh, we both avoided college like the plague this week then, didn't we? Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not touching it. I'm going to be gone. I'm not watching games Saturday. I will watch some games Sunday. So I'm I'm going to do some NFL bets, and that's it, I think. How about your guy Lane Kiffin at home getting 24 this week against Alabama at home against his former employer? Ooh. How bad do you think Nick Saban's going to hang that number on him? I think he'll probably put about uh, 70 on him. So. I think that could be – I'll say 63-21, just in case you're wondering. So. <laughs> I like it. All right, uh, real quick, let's roll through some uh, Ask Skinny Anything here. Skinny, first of all, from our uh, friend, Lindsay Patterson, she wants to know thoughts on a big bowl of cereal for a nightcap. What are you having? Uh, not a chance. No. Um, I, for me, if it was a, it was a, if it was a nightcap, it's going to be a cocktail a, but if it's going to be food, it, it, it's, 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 if it's a food and I'm still like not ready to like pass out or whatever, it's going to be some kind of greasy burgerish, like taco bellish kind of crap. Right. It's gotta be bowl of cereal. I love her to death. I do. <laughs> A bowl of cereal. A uh, bowl of cereal. I, I got I to gotta say, I'm kind of in on the uh, occasional sweet thing before bed. And my I favorite not, dessert is like a bowl of cereal. So now, I, it's funny you say that. I will occasionally do that. I'll, I'll grab, I have a, a big jar of peanut M&Ms that occasionally I'll just grab a handful. Like if I've just, you know, I need something to clean, to get the like taste of alcohol off your palate. <laughs> um, nothing like chocolate and peanuts to do that. So maybe yeah. a handful of peanut M&Ms if you're talking the sweet side of things, but Nah. Now I will say there's times after a rough night where I'll wake up and have grape nuts and yogurt together. That's a, that's a good kind of, that kind of cleans you out a little bit there, my friend. <laughs> Thank you for here's, that. Here's the visual. I'm, it's funny that Lindsay's hosting a, a zoom happy hour for some of us who, who cover the Bengals and, and just have been in kind of a, a friends group for a while. And, and I'm going to have to say, I may have to just have a bowl of cereal on there just for her. You should. What, what cereal would you go with? What is your favorite? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a grape nuts guy, man. Grape nuts all the way. Grape Only. nuts and yogurt. Grape nuts and strawberry yogurt. Okay, wow, that's not bad. Uh, I, I'm a 
I, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I haven't eaten cereal in over a year. So like, I yeah, don't know I, why I, I'm acting yeah. like I'm a big cereal. Guy. I, I, I will say I, I have a, I have about, I'll have a bowl with some yogurt about once every two weeks. I'm not a, we've talked about this before. I'm not a huge breakfast guy. Yeah. I mean, um, so it, it's just occasionally it hits me where you're like, Hey, go on. I'm hungry this morning. That, that, that would be better than just frying up just a mess of bacon and slopping some eggs together. And plus it's easy. You dump the yogurt in a bowl. You put the grape nuts on top of it. You eat it. And you're done. Yeah. I, I Oreo O's were a favorite of mine. Cinnamon toast crunch, a favorite. Um, yeah, I will uh, say I, I, I could eat. Back in the day when 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 and, and I my oldest daughter's getting married uh, next weekend actually so she's she's out of the house and she has her own house with her fiance my youngest daughter's a senior in college so they were big cereal eaters and 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 I think the youngest I think she was the one she liked frosted flakes so occasionally I, I could get a box of frosted flakes and just eat them out of the box I would do that on occasion just like not not with milk just eat them by the handful but yeah I'm not we just don't have a lot of cereal laying around the house. Yeah, same here, man. I get it. Uh, well, let me ask you one question kind of on the food topic real quick while we're here because it was going on Barstool all day yesterday, the radio and everything. They're arguing about this, and I don't know where it originally started. I think it was a tweet from someone. How do you feel about leftovers and, and specifically taking leftovers home from a restaurant? I do that a lot. I, I, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't mind doing that. I mean, I don't uh, pretty much anything I can reheat the next day. I don't like them sitting around for a week, mind you, but, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you go to a place where it's just a giant burger or, you know, you got a, a maybe even a, a big, big thing of chicken and you just, you know, maybe they give you three, three things of, you know, three chicken breasts or something. You're like, man, I can't eat all that stuff. I'll, I'll eat it tomorrow. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. Leftover pizza for me. It, it has to be certain time. I love La Rosa's pizza, but I can't stand it cold and I can't stand it reheated. I don't know why, um, there's a couple of pizzas that I do like that I can eat cold or eat the next day, but no, I, I don't mind taking food home from a restaurant. I, I usually eat it the next. I mean, um, where was I recently? I, I, they gave me three tacos, three giant tacos. I could only eat two. I took one home. It was a perfect lunch the next day. Yeah. For me, the two places are Mexican restaurants and hibachi restaurants where the leftovers typically happen. Cause those are where you get a ton of food anywhere else. I'm crushing most of my meal and I'm not taking like, you know, a little snack home. Like I'm only taking yeah. it if it's like a full meal left. Yeah, enough for lunch. The yeah, next day, exactly. Right? Like, like, uh, you, like, like you a, ate like half said, of it I, or more, but there's still right. like a good portion for lunch left over. I'm taking that home. I have no issue with that. But th- that was the weird thing about the conversation is everyone seemed to agree that they liked having leftovers for like a midnight snack or uh, for the next day. But like it was only a situation if they ordered like pizza or Chinese in, they would they didn't like taking a, a box home or a, anything like that, which. I, if you're going out afterwards, it's an insane move. Like I would never take leftovers to another bar or something. Oh, good God. That's crazy. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no. I would not. If I'm going straight home from a restaurant, I have no issue taking a box. I forget it most of the time when they package it up. I leave it there on the table, but. And and you're right about Chinese. There's no way whatever you order from a Chinese restaurant, you cannot eat it all in one sitting. If you do, you're a pig. So, I mean, it's usually a perfect two meal split up, right? I mean, well, and the thing with Chinese is you're usually getting multiple things too. Like you want to try two things. So yeah, you're, I, I mean, it's usually a couple of egg rolls and then some rice and then a meat dish. And it's like, by the time you eat the egg rolls and part of the meat dish and the rice, you're like, damn, I got a lot of the meat dish and the rice left. That's perfect for tomorrow. Yep. Gotta love it. Uh, all right, Skinny, what is your dream NCAA bubble? If you could put together your multi-team event for a bubble, who would you put in there this year? What teams? Yeah. Oh I my. think that's what they're getting at here. Holy cow. I mean, how many, how many, the question is though, how many would I be allowed? Well, I'd say let's do four. That seems to be what most people are deciding on. All right. Four, four. Yeah, Cause four, you only play four. three games, right? Yeah. In one of these uh, events, man, oh man, it'd be impossible. 
I mean, are we talking? Do we want local? Do we want national teams? What are we look? What are we looking at? What we want? I think you get to decide that. Why don't we put all four of the whiners in together? We'll put Kentucky, oh. Louisville, Xavier, and Cincinnati oh, all in I... the same bubble and just say f them. They got to play around Rob and play all each other now. You know what it'll be called? The Wit W H I T, the Whiners Holiday Invitational Tournament. Ooh, we'll I like over it. The holidays, the Wit. I think that's got some legs. We'll get T-shirts made. <laughs> I love that. Let's do the wit. I'm, I'm kind of with you on this. I think we could probably get this through if we really got a groundswell from social media. Where would we play it? We'd have to figure out where we would play it on a oh, neutral, though. We could go down to the dump downtown, but we could also nah. just go to any back alley park because it's got nicer rims and uh, a nicer Silver Lake. facility. Silver oh, Lake. yes, the Blacktop League. We'll bring back Absolutely. the Blacktop League. Abs- Absolutely. We can play multiple courts. Yes, we can. No question. Uh, where, two, is, two games going at once. What's Bundy doing? Can he still get it? To he run can it? still run. He, he's he's coaching. Uh, he's the he's the Kevin Bundy, the head coach at Brosser, uh, girls coach. But he's yeah. run that league for a long, long time. I may have to call Kevin and say, "Listen, I got a I got an event we were trying to bring to you, the Wit." Yeah. Now to be a little cold, you got to be a little cold. Uh, that's all right. We'll we'll put space heaters in there or something. There's no okay. fans in attendance because that's true. Well, actually, fans fans can come. It's outside. You can have yeah, sixteen but, people at Silver Lake, but it's cold. That's okay. Hand warmers. It'll be like a Big Ten football game. Or, or maybe we'll get lucky and it's one of those great 48 to 52 degree December days, right? All, all the Westsiders will still come. The The GCL football guys can be there. They're tough. Help me with Watch. this. What, 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 what? You went to Holy Cross. What's the name of the gym? It's got a name. Monsignor Thomas B. Finn Activity yeah. Center. Yeah, the Finn. So we'll have the wit at the Finn. Let's have it there. All right. We can do that. I tell you what, though. Uh, the Finn, huge home court advantage for the Indians. I don't know how that would play out for Xavier or UC, but well, that's the thing. But neither one of them are all bitching about home court advantage and 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 all that. No, we got we got neutral for everybody here. Well, the, the wit at the fin. I like it. I'll uh, I'll talk to Mike Holtz at Holy Cross and see what we can get going right. here. Sounds like a, sounds like a plan. All right, Skinny. What's the longest you've gone without sleep and why? Um, I've gone a couple of days before when I've had to pull back in back in the day, back in the newspaper days when you were putting a thing together called a, 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 a tab. You'd usually do a, a, a preview tab for whatever sport. It could be Bengals when I was doing Bengals. And I, back in my old newspaper days, I, I did multi things and, and worked at, at a paper in Maysville where each year we would put out um, uh, a big tab for the uh, 10th region tournament that was held at Mason County Fieldhouse. And uh, we were always, I was always really proud of it because um, it was like, it was literally like a program but it was chock full of information. And I usually wrote all the stories and did all the layout. And some of it was, you couldn't really write those stories until the, the, after the draw on Sunday. Um, and then the tournament would start usually like the next Wednesday and you'd have like a day or two to put it out. So you'd be writing all your stuff. Some of it you could do ahead of time, but then, you know, you didn't know how the pairings were going to go and you had to fill in a bunch of different blanks. And it was, it was a grind. I went a couple of days sleep, but uh, a couple of days without sleep, getting that thing done. And, uh, uh, I've thought back at those. I mean, I remember sitting in a parking lot waiting for a team photo because they think back to those days. I mean, you literally had to go. You, they could mail it to you, but you couldn't wait in the mail. So I had to drive to Nicholas County. I think it was. I'm sitting in the school parking lot at six in the morning waiting for somebody to come to school so I can get a team photo from them, for goodness sake. So, yeah, it's been, I, I've done that a few times. Which week are we referencing for me at this point? Like a th- 30 hours up without sleeping is pretty much every week, once a week for me now, because like when I flip over to the weekend. I usually do that. So I think the longest I actually ever did, it was my first year working the overnight shift at channel 12 when I also went out to the big East tournament. Cause I had like stuff, I, stuff I was doing the day before. So I didn't get to sleep before work. Stayed I up all this. day. So I, so I did an overnight stayed up all day, 
did an overnight, did my flight out to New York, uh, cover like was out all day, did a Xavier game, and then slept at like one or two a.m. that night after the bars. And so that was, I don't know how many hours that equates to, but I think that's the longest I've ever been on. Yeah, and, and the thing is, you can do that on adrenaline, but I'm telling you, man, once you put that head down, holy cow, you don't remember things for about 10 days. I mean, it feels like you're just out like a light. Yeah, it was fortunate because I was staying with like uh, a friend who lived in New York, uh, in Brooklyn, right next to the Barclays Center. And yeah, I was in his apartment, and the next morning, I think he was probably up maybe two or three hours before me, and he just knew, he's like, I'm not even going to say a word, I'm just going to do my thing, watch some TV in here and let him sleep till nine or 10 a.m. And exactly. I did. Exactly. I got it in. So, all right. Uh, Skinny, if you could trade places with any animal, what would it be? Oh, man. Cheetah. I like to be a cheetah. They're elegant. Everybody's, everybody, they're elegant. Everybody's afraid of them and they can run like the wind. Yeah, I'm going to go cheetah. Yeah, the nice thing about being cheetahs, I think you have a fairly stress-free life because you can hang up in tall trees and not be bothered. And right. when, uh, the times hunter, you are hunter, on the hunter, ground, you can just run away from anybody. Right, and and hunters probably hopefully don't see you because you can hang out in the trees and then they maybe have a hard time catching you because you're stealth and you're fast. I want to be a cheetah. Yeah, I mean, there are like all types of cool bears out there and uh, like ferocious animals where it'd be like, oh, it'd be great to have that power and be that big or uh, be feared in that manner. But... I don't like it kind of seems like a dangerous life. You got to be attacking a lot of things. You got to be fending off territory. You got to be like king of the jungle and stuff like that. I don't think that's really my thing. I think I'd rather be like a, a domestic house dog that I mean, can you you know the way people treat dogs? It, uh, dude, it is a great life. You I'm make me a dog in Fort Thomas where the houses are like four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars and they're spending probably 50,000 a year on their dogs just taking care of them. I, that's a great life. It is, man. I, I It's funny. Uh, we have two Shih Tzus and, and they sleep in the bed and then they go down when my wife goes down to log on to the computer to work. And um, they, they one has her own little personal bed that she lays in. The other one has kind of a mattressy thing that she sleeps on or sits on while she works. It's a pretty good life, man. They, they It's pretty stress free for them. About the only time that I feel bad for them is when they get their hair combed. They don't like that stuff at all. They whine and they complain, kind of give you a snarly look. And then within five minutes, they love you again. It's like, I forgot what you did to me. Uh, and yeah. that's the other part. Their, their memories are so short. They, they don't even remember what you did five minutes ago when you were hating on them, right? Yeah. Well, and that's the other that's thing. A, it's that's like, a good I, that's a good call, Rick. I, yeah, I, I like your point there. I always feel bad when I leave the dog alone at home. But I swear to God, it's like after five minutes, they don't know how long they've been left. It was like, yeah, the first five minutes sucked, but now like five or 12 hours is all pretty much the same as long as they don't have to go to the bathroom. It's that that, that happens. It's so funny because if, if she leaves and, and they're downstairs, the, the younger, the older ones, she's 16 years old and she, you know, she doesn't see great. She doesn't hear great. She gets around well for a 16 year old dog. It's incredible. But the other one's still kind of feisty. She's nine and she doesn't take any crap. So as soon as the door closes like outside um, and I'm up here, I can hear a quick yap. I'm like, oh my gosh. But by the time I go downstairs, she's sitting down and looking around like, what? I just, I want to make my voice heard that I didn't like her leaving, but I'm good with it. You're yeah. right. It's like the, the memory's so short. And it's almost like, wait a minute, you were upstairs the whole time, guy? I'll come up with you. Yeah. Oh, like, I, mean, no, the, I should have just left you alone. Our dog will whine for like the first few minutes after you leave and then mope for like a second or two. But then like you get back a day later and they're like, hey, you were gone? Yeah. <laughs> so happy to see you again. Yeah. Didn't even, and, and sometimes... I, Sometimes it's like they pick their head up and look at you like, I'm kind of tired. I ain't budging. It's good to see you home, but I'll, I'll see you in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No, it's right. a good call. I, li I like your guy. I like that call. I like that question, actually. Yeah. I, I think I won you ever with my answer, which I feel good about. Yes. And, yes. Uh, strong, strong note on asking anything for me. We'll end it with this. Your favorite NFL helmet. 
don't know if it's the helmet or just the entire uni, but man, I think the Chargers stuff is sweet. I like the Chargers. I like I like everything about all their uni, uh, and especially this year when they've kind of gone back to those old AFL colors with the gold um, or yellow, if you will. Um, I just think their stuff is sweet. I'm, I'm going Chargers. It's probably simplistic, just a lightning bolt, but I, I do. Um, Cowboys is iconic, but I hate the Cowboys, so I can't go them. I'm trying to think. Seattle's, I, I think, is pretty cool. I've always liked the Seahawks. That, that's a good one, too. Um, but I'm going Chargers. I like everything about their uni. I think the Chargers is a good one. I actually like the Bengals a lot. I, I think it's unique. It's totally unlike anything else. It's something that hasn't changed in forever, and I don't see any time that it would change in the near future. I I really like the Bengals helmet. I think it is definitely top three. You know what's funny? I I, I just got done. Um, I, I've got so many old books, and occasionally I'll just pull one out and, and, and use it for reading material when you have to do certain things like go to the bathroom. But I pulled out a book from 1981 called Super Stripes. It was the, it was kind of the, the Bengals, the year they made the Super Bowl for the first time. And that's when they came out with the, the uniform design that is today. And it was funny how much people were making fun of the helmets that said that they look like tire tracks. And, and then it kind of grew on everybody of, hey, this is a pretty cool looking helmet. I'm kind of with you. I, I like the Bengals helmet. Yeah, I, I like it. I think um, other ones that I really like are probably older helmets like for instance the tampa bay buccaneers uh cream yeah the old one oh, i love the, with the orange. i love i i hate the ones now yeah i, I love too. the creams i love the creamsicle ones i thought those were awesome yeah that old logo was cool the color stuff was cool i like um, the chiefs i don't know why i like the chiefs but i like the chiefs the chiefs like current one yeah i just yeah. i don't know why i'm they, not big they, on that I, I another old one i liked mainly just because i think it was such a weird logo was the oilers I thought the oh, Oilers, Oilers was, was awesome. funny. Oilers one was awesome, yeah. and they had they had different color schemes over the years too, um, to some degree. I, I I don't mind those, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with my guns and go Chargers. And I, last one I would add in there is I think the Eagles is another one that's pretty good because it's kind of unique and it's remained similar, mostly the same for a long time. I like the older look better, where it was a little more simplistic and had the uh, like Kelly green as opposed to the more darker green or whatever it is now. We're, we're missing obvious. We're missing an obvious great one, aren't we? Which one? Team. 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 Washington team. Oh, yeah. The football team. Football team. <laughs> that's a that's a brutal looking helmet. Ooh. Well, actually, you know what, though? Um, way back when, when they had the sort of Florida State looking helmets with just the arrows on them. Those were those are sharp. Those are decent. Yeah, those that's, are sharp. That's like way, 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 way back. Yep, though. yep. That's in the Sonny Jurgensen days. Go look him up, kids. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll have to Google that one. <laughs> yeah, go look him up. All right, All right Rick, great it. stuff as always. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with yet another podcast. It's been the Skinny Podcast. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us here on Local12.com.